0: the kind of end before the long period of time that is precedes the real end. So it's not even mostly the end, right? <laughs> what we're looking at is, is uh, an end time. Could, could we get that uh, PowerPoint, or not PowerPoint, slide I have up there? I have my little timeline here, and, and uh, we'll be looking at that in a few minutes. But just in case you're not sure on this, this section here is, is the Millennium, OK? Uh, Battle of, of Armageddon was that right there. Seven-year tribulation was there. So we really are, we're looking at the end time. But normally when we talk about the end, we're talking about this right here. Or maybe we're talking about this right here. But usually we're not talking about that right there because it's a 1,000 years. (laughs) It's hard to call something that lasts a 1,000 years the end when it hasn't even started yet, right? So, So just understand that when we talk about the end, we're not really talking about the end because we're not talking about that, not normally. But today, we're just kind of putting that into perspective Because we are picking up here, right? That is is where we we are. Uh, We've reached chapter 20. Most of the things in the prophetic timeline are in the rearview mirror, right? Uh, Most of it has already happened. Uh, And and so we're there. The rapture has happened. The tribulation is over. Jesus has returned in his second coming. He's won the battle of Armageddon. He's cast the Antichrist and the false prophet into the, the pit. Uh, and and we see all those things behind us, okay, they they are done, we enter into the millennium, this thousand-year reign of Christ, and we will see this time as a time when Satan is imprisoned, okay, he's not able to, to make any difference to anything, Jesus will be ruling, life on earth will be the way it's supposed to be. And it, it's yeah it's enough to it's, say that's not fair I didn't get that, which is kind of what this message is about is that really it doesn't matter because a thousand years, if you live seventy years, if you live a thousand years, doesn't make much difference because of this thing on the end of it that <laughs> is eternity right and, and so it's, it's kind of like what we win at the end so we're going to see if we can learn some lessons from this heaven on earth today uh, so i'm going to uh Turn the light on. We can leave that up there if it helps and, uh, and do that. But chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, Revelation. Uh, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient servant who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released a little while. And so we find that this thousand years is is the first thing that we see in this thousand years is that Satan is imprisoned. And and if you're like me, the first question you ask is what? Only imprisoned? (laughs) It's like, you've got to be kidding me. What is that about? You know, At what point do we not do something, but he is bound? I mean, I, I love the way this puts it, right? Threw him into the prison and shut it. And sealed it over him. I mean, he is, he is way bound in this bottomless pit. There is no escape. He is in solitary confinement. His ability to influence the world in any way will be gone for a thousand years. Right? Talk about things being nice. But why a thousand years? What is this about? And it's, and it's really important to grasp because it, it affects our understanding of the whole millennium. We'll, we'll look in a minute at, the, at the, the different positions there are about what the millennium actually is. Uh, uh, but what's a 1,000 years about? And the answer is it's a prison term. It's a prison term. Satan is cast into prison for 1,000 years. That amount of time is determined before he is cast in. Right? It's like God sits up at the courthouse, and he's got a gavel, and he rings it down, and he says, thousand years, bang, right? And Satan is hauled off and he's thrown in for a thousand years. It is a predetermined amount of time for Satan's imprisonment. Okay? We want to hang on to that because it makes a difference of understanding what the what the millennium is and what it's all about, why it's going to last a thousand years. But but we go, why not forever? Why not just, I mean, because because if you read the rest of the story right? Uh, if, we, if we skip all the way down to verse seven, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, He will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog to gather them together, their number is like the sand of the sea. Uh, skip down. Uh, verse, verse 10, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So why not skip that middle step? <laughs> you know, Why allow him out to cause trouble again and knowing that he's going to do it and you're going to throw him in. It's already determined. We just read the story. It's as sure as if it had already happened right? So why? Why go through the motions? Why do we put ourselves through this? And and you know what? The answer is actually a lot different if we say, why doesn't God punish me yet for the things I'm going to do? (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) God God is actually, you know, God clearly knows what's going to happen because he had it written down. Satan is going to be released. He is going to lead the nations astray. He will be cast into the pit. So why give him the chance? And the answer is God clearly, uh, just because he knows what's going to happen, doesn't mean he doesn't allow us to make it happen, right? Why does God continually give us another chance, right? I don't know what sin I'm going to commit tomorrow. Pretty sure I'll commit a sin tomorrow, though. (laughs) Unless tomorrow is going to be be, that one day, you know, when when, when I'm totally innocent and pure. Uh, We always have, we always have, okay, we always have a legitimate chance to respond to grace. We always have a legitimate chance to do the right thing. God knows what we're going to do, but we haven't done it yet. He will not punish us. You look through Scripture, you find that consistently. Why did God appoint Saul the first king of Israel? Saul was the right guy when he became king. About 30 years into his reign, he wasn't the right guy anymore. God knew that was going to happen, but at the time, he was right. Right? We, we, see, this, we see this in Scripture. We see this in ourselves. We, we have a chance that... The point I want to make is, is our chance to, just because God knows what we're going to do doesn't mean our decision to do it isn't our decision. He's not compelling us to do. He gives, That's what, what he does. He allows us to do it. He doesn't punish us for what we're going to do. He waits for us to do it, (laughs) and then we find tremendous grace forgives us, but we always have a legitimate chance to respond to grace. God, knowing what we will do, does not change our ability or our responsibility, and he doesn't judge or reward us based on what we would have done, but on what we actually do, okay? So, So that's the first thing, is why is God going through this with Satan? It sounds like he's just going through the motions. He's not, you know, apparently even Satan has a legitimate chance to respond to grace, Apparently, Satan will be down there in that pit for those thousand years deciding what he's going to do and have a legitimate chance to change his mind. Now, he won't. We know that. It's written in the book. But it doesn't mean his choice isn't legitimate. All our days, Psalm 139, are written in a book before one of them happened. So the things that I am going to do tomorrow, God already knows, they're written down, but I haven't done them yet. I don't get credit. I don't get blame until I do them. Uh, It's just the way God works, okay? So uh, let's move on from that to this whole word millennium, okay? Millennium is a Latin word. Very difficult to understand. It means a thousand, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so Millennium means a thousand. Millennium Falcon means a thousand Falcons. <laughs> I don't know what it's supposed to mean. It's symbolic of something. I don't know what, uh, but, but well, I'm not interested in the Millennium Falcon at this moment. It, it's a thousand years. Uh, a, 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 it, it means a thousand years. It's, it's the word we use for whatever reason. We, we choose it to say Millennium instead of a thousand years. Uh, but this is the basis we use that millennium on, is a thousand years when Satan is in prison. Now, as I say that, I say that easily. But understand that the church is divided into three different understandings of what this thing is. Okay? There's something called all millennial that says there really is no such thing, there's something called post millennial that says, uh, let, let, I, I wrote these out, let me get them a little bit better. Okay? All millennial, there is no millennium. The kingdom of God is now present in the world. Saints are ruling with God in heaven, right? Deceased Christians are in God with heaven ruling right now, okay? This is all millennial. It says it really isn't such a thing. There's just a way of describing the reality we have now where saints are ruling with Jesus Christ, and he is ruling over the earth today. And and, uh, the thousand years, the number is symbolic of a large amount of time. Okay, we're going to see that again uh, with post-millennial, that the thousand years is symbolic of a large amount of time. Now, that's not hard to grasp. I mean, there's a, we, we look at an awful lot of symbolism in Revelation, right? It's not hard to say a thousand could easily be symbolic of a large amount of time, especially when we go back in Scripture and say with the Lord, a, year is a, th- or a day is a thousand years, a day is a second. A day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. Yes, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. It's, it's easy to see it could be a, a, a symbolic term. Both all millennial and post millennial say this thousand years is simply a symbolic term. Post millennial says Jesus will come after the millennium. Th- there's going to be a millennium. Thousand is merely symbolic of a large amount of time, which so far is two thousand years. <laughs> It'd be a bi millennium, uh, and uh, so so it's symbolic of a large amount of time. But the church is going to get the world purified and improved enough, doesn't have to be perfect, just good enough that Christ finally decides, okay, it's good enough that I can return, okay, post-millennial says that's going to happen, so the thousand years is symbolic, but, but it says, we are making, we the church are influencing the world, we're being salt and light, and we're making the world better, and eventually we will get it good enough to see. Now, as I say that, you might say, I don't think I could be a post-millennial <laughs> because I look at the world around me, and I, my eyes don't see it getting better. Now, that doesn't mean, I mean, things, you know, the world's like everything else. It goes up and down, you know. The, the people get better. Nations get better. Nations get worse, all those things. So, so that doesn't rule it out. It just says, uh, I mean, that's what post-millennial is. And then there's, uh, in both of those, by the way, the tribulation is a past event. Uh, to be all millennial or postmillennial, the tribulation is a past event. It's not a literal event that's going to happen according to like the timeline that I put up there. Instead, the tribulation was something that happened when the church was persecuted in the days of the Roman emperors, right? And those persecutions went by. And it was essentially the, the book of Tribula- the, the, the letters to the churches and the book of tribulation was completed around the year 70 A.D. And and, uh, by that view, this is ancient history, uh, and it's only describing what already happened, uh, not what is going to happen. Premillennial, which is what you are hearing from me, and I think what most people here probably already accept, premillennial says Jesus will return before the millennium. Jesus will return and uh, institute this thing we call the millennium. Uh, It says there will be a literal seven-year tribulation period in the future. It will be followed by a literal thousand-year reign of Christ and the imprisonment of Satan. And the thousand years are not based, are not symbolic. There may be symbolism to them, but that's not their purpose. They are based on a literal number of years. Okay, why would you say that one's better than the others? Well, for one thing... uh, it allows for the most literal fulfillment of Scripture. It says these things that we've been reading—they actually mean what they sound like they mean, which, which may sound kind of smart, alecky to say. But it acknowledges what Scripture says about these thousand years. These thousand years are a time of Satan being imprisoned. And if anyone thinks Satan is imprisoned right now, and, and is all millennial or post-millennial, I have to say, what do you think this world would be like if he got out? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, and besides that, Scripture calls, I mean, in Ephesians, we find that our, the description of people as those who, uh, let me read it Ephesians chapter 2, um, because I'll do a bad paraphrase if I try to paraphrase it. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, and you were dead in your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of mankind. And we have this being called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the the the, the uh, spirits of disobedience, and it says we all walked in them, and it describes him post cross, right, post resurrection, uh, living in the world today, ruling in the world today, prince of the world. You know, at that time, uh, he's he's clearly not descri- described in scripture as being locked up at this time. He is described as being on the loose at this time, and even ruling at this time. Uh, so so why pre-mill? It simply allows for that clearest understanding of. Of a literal acceptance of what Scripture presents here, and, and I have to say, if, if and I know I want don't want this to sound wrong because I thought this can sound really snotty if I say it wrong. Uh, if you are pre pre uh, post millennial or all millennial, you, you think those things and and you say, well, it's symbolic and all these things. Uh, I don't don't want this to be offensive as I say it, but why can't the words mean what they actually sound like they mean? Why do I have to interpret them symbolically? If, if I don't have to. Uh, the, the, the most sure understanding is called a hermeneutic rule of interpretation of Scripture is when possible, let words mean what they sound like they mean. And, and if we can do that, then we come forward with the clearest understanding of Scripture, and, and it leads to this premillennial position. okay. So, so we have this. The, so the first thing we see about the millennium is that this millennium is a time when Satan is imprisoned. But the second thing we see about the millennium is the millennium is a time when Jesus rules, right? Jesus rules on earth, chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Uh, after it talks about Satan being imprisoned, we start at verse 4. Then I saw thrones seated, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So the martyrs will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now, many people believe all believers will rise and reign with Christ for a thousand years, which is a possible possibility. I mean, it would be nice. I kind of like that one. It would be fun. I'm thinking there might be for a long time more of us reigning than reigned over (laughs) because there's not going to be a whole lot of people to survive into the millennium, but there's going to be, if we took all believers, uh, talk about the millions and even billions of people uh, entering into that ruling position. (laughs) It might might be a little top-heavy for a while. Uh, The only thing you can really prove is is that it is... uh, martyrs from the tribulation time. I mean, we look at the description that we find here. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life to rule with Christ. So, so I'm going to play it safe and say, this is, this is the people we're talking about. And, and he says, they will be priests of God and of Christ for a thousand years. Which is an interesting thing to find because if you look in Hebrews, we have one high priest and mediator, the man Christ Jesus. You go, why do we need new priests? Well, it's a new dispensation. It's a new way of God ruling the world. And in this world, he's going to have people, these, these tribulation saints or these, these whoever it is he has ruling with him for these thousand years, are going to be acting as priests. And you go, well, aren't you like a priest? Well, In the modern terms, you say, well, I'm like a Catholic priest because I get up in front of church, right, because I I proclaim God's word. Well, okay, but that's not the definition of a priest. Uh, I would fit the description of a prophet. A prophet is someone who proclaims God's word to the people. That's what, that's what a pastor does. He fills, when, As he preaches on Sunday morning, he is filling a prophetic role and speaking God's word to the people. But a priest, go back and look in the Bible and you find the priest is the one who made offerings to God on the people's behalf. And he was a mediator between the people and God. The, the pastor is not a mediator between people and God. You come to me and say, hey, I have an offering to make. Would you take care of it for me? And I'm going to look at you funny and say... What? <laughs> and, and and then I'm, I might ask, well, is there any money in that? No, I won't. Uh, I'll, I'll just look at you funny and say, what? No, no, we don't do that. You can't go before God on your own. You, 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 someone can help you do that, but you do it, right? And and but these priests will be mediators between between God and man, if if I understand what the word priest means. Uh, and, and so uh, it is a major change from how God is working in the world now. And I can just see it where these people, if, uh, if they're geographically separated around the world, Jesus is ruling on the throne. They have something they want to get from God or know from God or, or give to God. They go to this priest who physically, because Jesus is going to be physically ruling in Jerusalem, and these guys will somehow physically take care of it. And, and it's a very different kind of way that, uh, from how the world is working now. Okay, so that's the first thing we're going to see is the martyrs will reign with him. But much more than that, uh, life will be glorious. Life will be glorious in the most amazing ways. It makes me happy to think that it could be like that. And it makes me go, wait a minute. How come I don't get that? I want that life. I want to be born then, it's kind of like I, I tell people, you know, people say, oh, I was born to the wrong century or I should have been born in this time. I'm going, I want to be born. I'm glad I'm born in a place and a time where there are plumbing and electricity, <laughs> right? And you can have all those other eras because I want <laughs> my comfort. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that. Um, but life will be glorious. And, and, and to explain that, first let me explain to you how we know when the millennium is being talked about. Because Another issue for people who don't want to take it as a literal thousand years is the only place you find that phrase, thousand years, describing a time like this is, is here in Revelation 20. You find it six times uh, between Revelation 20, verse 1, and verse 7. It's referred to six times this thousand years, but, but, so it's, it's, but it's the only place it's referred to. So if it's that important, why is it not referred to in other places? And the answer is it is, it just isn't described by the length of time. It's described in other ways. Well, how do you know that's what's being talked about? And, and it's, it's, it's pretty interesting because once you, once you see it, it's hard not to see it, right? But it, it's like this. You find a description of life that is too good to be earth but can't be heaven, okay? Now, when I say that, I'm going to show you some examples. You go, oh, oh, yeah. For instance, our scripture reading today. Turn to Isaiah chapter 11, It's a great place to start for two reasons. One, because it it clearly is describing something we haven't seen yet, but it's not heaven. And and also, it places it at the end of something that looks like Christ's return. Isaiah chapter 11, verses, uh, I'll just go 1 through 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the law, the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what he hears, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Okay, This will sound familiar if you were here last week as we were in Revelation 19. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And we talked about, and we're going to talk some more about that rod, by the way. But but we we talked about Jesus returning, and and he's going to return to earth, his second coming, and it's going to be uh, an unpleasant thing for an awful lot of people. And then it picks up from there uh, with verse six. 6 through 9 was our scripture reading. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we have this tremendous picture. You know, the, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The child shall put his hole in the adder's nest, but won't get bit, right? Uh, these, thi- these things will all live, and the little child shall lead them. It's not saying he shall lead us. People often apply that that way, like a child shall lead us. No, he's leading the animals. Like, like if you ever picture, uh, uh, I always, when I think of uh, the jungles of India, if you've ever read jungle books, or, or if you've uh, ever watched uh, you know, one of those movies, or, or if, how many of you know Ringu? of India's forest. Okay, a few of us know this story. I'm, it, it's a great mission story. It's a fun one. And it, it starts with this little boy running a race with his cow. <laughs> or, or, or bull, water buffalo. And, and and they lead them down to water. The little boy will walk among a herd of water buffalo leading him down to the water. You go, you got to be kidding. Those things are big. They have horns. They can stomp you. They weigh a lot, right? And, and the, But a little child takes them down. Well, in this case, he's walking down and he's got the cow and the bear and the lion and the wolf and the lamb, and he's just walking along with them, leading them, and there's no danger in it. And, and now, those who who uh, would say, "Well, no, it's all millennial or or post millennial," what do they do with the passage? Like, because you have to understand it some way, right? And so they're described. They, they will ba- essentially they'll say it's heaven. Here's the problem with heaven: is the weaned child. The little child in heaven. I'm pretty sure we're all going to be adults, you know. Uh, we're, 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 I- I- if we are, if, if, if I'm children go to heaven, children get saved. But he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to be put on this new earth. And and if you are a child, you know, if if it, maybe maybe if you get saved at, or, or, or pass away at six, you know, one of those tragedies, uh, you you appear in this heaven at six. It could happen. So so maybe for for. Uh, you know, 15 years there'll be the little child, or, or how many? I mean, how many years before the little child doesn't qualify anymore? It doesn't fit the description. It doesn't fit the description of heaven, but it's too good to be earth. And so they'll say, well, it's a symbolic time of great time of great blessing. Okay, well then here's my question: When have we seen that time? We haven't seen that time. This prophecy was was given right. Isaiah was written about 700 BC. Shortly after that, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed, taken into captivity. hundred years after that, the southern kingdom of Israel was defeated and taken into captivity. Uh, They've never seen this time. They've never seen this time. So it's still a prophecy of the future. Why not make it literal? Why not? It's clearly something that has not been, been fulfilled. It does not fit anything that has existed since that time until now. Nor is it feasible to see something even symbolically resembling that. There have been hopes. Anybody remember? I want to get to that later. Uh, I, we're going to come back and talk about the Berlin Wall in, in a little bit. Uh, but the, So the first thing is, is we recognize this as an example of, of the, 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 the millennium shown in the Old Testament. Okay, we can find several others. Still, still in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 65, uh, verses 20 to 25. Second last chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 65, verses 20 to 25. We have another description. Too good to be he- to be earth as we know it can't be heaven. No more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die at a hundred years old, and the sinner, a hundred years old, And the sinner, a hundred years old, shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed and their descendants with them. And so we have this description of tremendous blessing, but yet there are new children being born. (laughs) There are people dying. The the guy who dies at only a hundred years old will be considered young but he's still dying right so death is still happening uh birth is still happening it can't be heaven but it sure doesn't fit the earth that we see around us and and so we say this is a description of the millennium okay we could go to a lot of other passages if we wanted to read ezekiel chapters 40 41 42 43 and 44 we could have a description of the temple that's going to be built. It doesn't fit the description of any temple that has been built or or fit the description of, of the temple of the, the uh the, the tribulation time, uh, because it talks about the, the prince of the people being there. It, it doesn't work for anyone else. In Ezekiel 47 and 48, we find this division of the land going on that, that has never been seen, and, and uh, is just hard to imagine. Uh, if we go to Ezekiel, we find, let, let me read this passage, not, not Ezekiel, Zechariah. I just love Zechariah. It's funny how many times we go to this strange little book uh, when we're going through Revelation. Zechariah chapter 14, once again, Your Bible should be getting to where it turns there pretty easily. (laughs) Zechariah 14, verses 16 through 21. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come up against Jerusalem, talking about Armageddon, shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. And if any families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain, there shall be, no, the, plague with, there shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses holy to the Lord, and the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. There shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of the hosts on that day. Clearly it's a description of a time that has not happened yet, <laughs> but is not heaven, right? Uh, it, just, it just doesn't work. So, so you, you see my point is made pretty well, uh, there, and there's quite a few of them. And if a passage doesn't fit earth as we see it, or know it, or have known it, and if it doesn't fit heaven, then we find a description of the millennium. So so we start finding from these things uh, that that the millennium is described many times, and it will be wonderful. Uh, What do we see so far? Uh, We will live long. Uh, I say we, meaning they, because we aren't it, right? Uh, I don't care what your view of the, the rapture is, we aren't it. The only way you could possibly be it is if you're not saved and you survive. <laughs> then you could be it. Don't make that a goal, okay? Don't make that as a really bad goal. It's kind of dumb, okay? Uh, so so uh, otherwise, we're not it. But they will live long lives. They will live healthy lives. They will live with Jesus ruling. They will live with Satan put away. You go, wow, I, I want that life. That sounds really good. But it won't all be fun fun and games either, because let's look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. By the way, we're coming back to Zechariah. I should say that before you turn away. Was I too late? (laughs) Sorry, I'm a bad pastor. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Lynn says I knew that. Uh, (laughs) Revelation 19:15. From his mouth there comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Armageddon, he strikes down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He's going to rule them with a rod of iron. Revelation 12.5. Speaking of this, and this is going back. If you don't remember all this, just remember we covered it and made sense out of it all. Anyway, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations, with a rod of iron, right? This rod of iron is not a unique passage or unique to one passage. Psalm chapter 2, you may remember we've gone to Psalm chapter 2 many times. It's another place where your Bible should start opening itself. Um, if you've been doing this, turning to the passages. It's the, one of them I got this new Bible in the middle of. <laughs> it doesn't open quite so quickly to some as others. Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And we find this iron rod. Uh, there, there's other passages. Isaiah 11:4, um, Part of that same passage we were in in Isaiah where we read about the millennium. He talks about ruling them with this rod of iron. So when you picture a king ruling on a throne, there's a golden scepter, right? And if your picture fits mine at all, and it's kind of got a a bulb at the bottom, and it kind of expands as it comes up, gets a little bit wider as it goes up, and then it has has a a big oval, or not oval, but round thing. (laughs) I should learn my terms better. And then it's got like a, a ball on the top maybe, of open like a, 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 I want to say pomegranate, but I actually don't know what a pomegranate looks like, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it's got the, the bigger, and it's gold, and it's beautiful, and he's sitting there and he's ruling with this. And, and if he does anything with it, he doesn't, well, he doesn't do anything with it. It's just there. I mean, it's in his hand. He, you know, if, if you go to the book of Esther, you know, the king holds out his, his uh, scepter to, to allow her to come in. But what does it mean when the king's sitting there with a rod of iron? I was going to bring in that bar today, and I forgot. I spaced it out this morning. Dion knows the bar. It's about, it's about this size without a base on it, right? And it's steel. And I use it for all sorts of things. You know, I use it for tamping when I put in a post hole or something like that. I use it for prying things, and I need some leverage on it. And, and uh, I never use it to hit somebody. <laughs> Why don't I use it to hit somebody? Yeah, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> that would be a lethal weapon. He rules with a rod of iron. That's, not, that's a very different picture. right? We don't have the Burger King king sitting there with a smile on his face and a golden scepter. We have Jesus Christ standing there with a rod of iron, ruling people with a rod of iron. Well, Proverbs, even I lost my place in Zechariah now. <laughs> uh, Proverbs tells us what a rod is used for? Proverbs 10. Did I hear you say whack them? <laughs> oh, okay. Good. Good word. I like that word. Um, Proverbs 10, verse 13. Some of you know what verse I have to include in here. I'm not going to say it until I get to it. Proverbs 10, verse 13 On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. According to Scripture, what does he do with a rod? Proverbs 14, verse 3. And this is not what you call exhaustive. I I could have just kept going. Proverbs 14, verse 3. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise preserve them right? Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, I have it written down, so I don't have to turn there, but it's my favorite. Do not withhold discipline, pl- discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul. From My version is so clean, it says Sheol. I like my old one. You shall save his soul from hell. You can know, just put the emphasis, it doesn't work, Sheol, you know, it, it's, uh, it's lost, right? Uh, Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron, in other words, you mess up during the millennium, he's going to smack you back into line. But that's, what it's, that, that's Steve's translation of it. How does it work? Zechariah. <laughs> Finally, we go back to Zechariah. You thought I was lying, right? Zechariah chapter 14, verses 16 to 19. We actually read it already. But recognize this. Then everyone who survives of all the nations, so, you know, there's survivors of the, the Battle of Armageddon. Not, the, the people who go to battle, there's no survivors, right? They're all dead. But there's, you know, not everybody's going to battle. Some people are too old, some people are too young, some people are too too sick. Uh, I, I imagine there's people home with babies, things like that. I don't know. But but not everybody goes to war. Some people stay back. The survivors, there will be survivors. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come up against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the Lord, the King of hosts, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of booths. So I don't think every single person is going to. might be something like the Muslim, uh, what do they call it where they go to Mecca? The Hajj? Pilgrimage? Yeah, so something like that. And everybody will eventually do it. It'll be like a, a thing like, you know, next year I'm going to, Jer- to Israel to do this kind of thing. Everybody's going to do it. Every nation's going to send people. And if any of the families, verse 17, of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt, he picks on Egypt, does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts those nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. right? And, and so they're going to be honoring. And if they don't, they're going to be punished. Okay? doesn't mean he's going to come out with a stick and beat them, even a you know, metal iron pole and beat them. But it does mean, and just like, by the way, I'm not in favor of beating your children with large sticks, okay? <laughs> even, even though I love the sound of that verse, that's not something I recommend you do. But I do recommend you discipline your children, right? Uh, well, what's he saying here? He doesn't discipline them by coming out and beating each Egyptian with a stick, but he does send a plague. He does send a famine or a drought on the land. And, and by the way, how many times is Egypt going to miss the Feast of Booths? Once. (laughs) Yeah, once. Maybe not that, because maybe they'll actually read this and say, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't us, but somebody's going to miss it once. And somebody's going to learn a lesson, probably everybody's going to learn a lesson, right? And so people will be good. It won't be fun and games, but people will learn, and people will behave. And I think after year five of the millennium, people will have it figured out. And they'll be living really good lives, and everything will be really nice. But, But then this amazing thing, and we're not getting there till next week, the first time Satan is let out of that pit, he leads the nations astray, and they turn against God. You go, how could that be? How, these people are going to have uh, at least a culture of a thousand years of Christ reigning and life being good. As, as, as I mentioned uh, the, the Berlin Wall. Um, some of us here don't remember that. that was, was it 88 or 89? The, the Berlin Wall came down. I think it was 89. Uh, and uh, When the Berlin Wall came down, one of the things that they were talking about on the news was the peace dividend. I don't know if you remember that, those of you who were, are old enough like me. If you're old enough to remember, you might be old enough to forget. <laughs> but they were talking about the peace dividend because they said, now there will be no more war. We don't need to pour all that money into the military. We now get a peace dividend. That money will go into our own coffers. It will benefit us in so many ways, and we will prosper. Really nice thought, but what happened? Well, since then, we've had Desert Storm. We've had Desert Shield. We know these nations named Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran, right? We we sit there and look at North Korea and wonder what and when is something going to happen there. And and we look around the world, and we haven't had a peace dividend. During the millennium, there will be no war. I mean, think of what that does for the economy. You know, think about how much less in taxes are going to go to support military (laughs) when you don't need a military. Wow. I mean, the, the, the peace dividend will be there. There will be, there will be long lives. There will be good health. There will be, I mean, just the tremendous amount of blessings the world is going to experience. It's, it, we, I don't know that we can imagine the prosperity that's going to go on in the earth at that time. It, it, it's going to be an amazing thing. Right? I, I, I wrote down a list. Lives will be long. Animals will not be dangerous. There will be no war. Jesus will rule on the earth. Life will be what it was meant to be. Eden returns. Right? And I don't know that Eden returns. I, I like to think of it that way. Uh, you know, the oldest man in the Bible, trivia question Methuselah, 969 years. Adam, I think, only lived 930. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> and you have all these ages in the 900s of years. It, all, all it says is the young guy is going to die at 100. It doesn't say how long the old guy is going to live. But there might be people who survive the entire thing. Right? How could they possibly turn against Christ? It's it's mind-boggling, but that's going to happen. But that's actually going into next week's message. (laughs) We can almost feel cheated. Why can't I live in a time in a place where 100 is young? Have you ever thought, boy, if I had the energy I had when I was young? I know you young people, you don't even understand that we understand. (laughs) We're just too old to do anything about it. (laughs) But if we were still young, we could school you on a couple things. Why can't I live when there is no war? Isn't that the beauty pageants wish every year? You know, And world peace. If they don't say that, they don't win. I would like to live at a time when dogs don't bite. I was talking with a guy the other day about dogs. I told him about the time when I visited this little old lady that had this cute little yappy dog, that on the way out bit me right here. Oh. And she was blind, so she didn't know. And I didn't want to let her know. So I just walked on out. Fortunately, he let go. <laughs> I want to live in a time when dogs don't bite. You know? Fortunately, it was a little gummy thing. It didn't hurt much. <laughs> I want to live at a time when I don't have to be afraid for my children. Imagine that. Not, not only because of all the dangerous people out there, but the dangerous animals out there, right? Your kids, you can send them out in the morning and they'll come home at lunch because <laughs> it's lunch. And then you can send them out again, which doesn't mean, by the way, kids, we don't love you and like to see you. <laughs> but, but I think, if, I remember when I was a kid and I had the freedom to roam about when and as I chose And and the amazing freedom I had. And and even then, you worried. I mean, I remember when we threw rocks at that bee's nest. (laughs) There's, There's always reason to worry, but there won't be. There won't be. Right? Wow. All those things are nice. But you know what? If you're not careful, they're a distraction. Because when we have too much heaven on earth, we forget that we need heaven. We forget that. Uh, The the most important thing now is going to be the most important thing then. We need Jesus Christ. What will be the most important thing for them? They need Jesus Christ, except you know what? They won't see it because they have it. You know what makes you not appreciate good good home cooking? When you have it all the time. Yeah. Because I have good home cooking and then when thank you. (laughs) But when there's a restaurant and they advertise it as having good home cooking, I want to go someplace where the food is unhealthy. Yeah? Yeah, Where where they soak that much butter into the bread before they serve it to you. Because good home cooking doesn't do that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm getting I'm getting the evil eye here. (laughs) She does. And and, and when a restaurant comes out that advertises good home cooking, I go, why would I want to live there or go there? I I get that already. I have good home cooking. Uh, And and you know what's going to happen, I think, during the millennium? Is people are going to be so spoiled with Jesus that they don't think they need Jesus. They're going to take him for granted. Well, how could I say that? Because somehow Satan leads them astray at the end. In the meantime, a thousand years with Jesus, or eternity with Jesus. The, whether, how long our lives are and what the world is like around us while we live here is pretty irrelevant in the larger t- scale of things. thousand years is nice. Eternity is better. Sounds like a song, right? Life is good, eternal, life is better. Okay, I'll stop singing. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what Jesus gives us. He will offer it then for those who are smart enough to accept. Praise him for the life you have now. Make sure you have Jesus in your life now. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for this time that's coming for the world. It sounds so glorious. Lord, I thank you that for, for what you do for people and the blessings you give. But I thank you most of all for the gift of eternal life. Lord, life forever with no problems with you. I thank you for what you offer us. I thank you for what you give us. I thank you for the ability to come to you by faith. I pray that everyone here has done that or will do so. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.